Howdy, folks. It is January Monday. Howdy, folks. It is Monday, January 30th, 2012. I'm Skip Ruddertail, your Otter Editor, and with me as well never before is... Soren, the cat who's not Tunsis. Soren, the cat. We have an Otro cat here, a, a, a fill-in, if you will, because I am in Colorado, and Soren was good enough to invite us over for an excellent dinner. Uh, and more on that in a minute, but this is the Bad Dog Book Club, and this is episode 24B, believe it or not, so we have done, wow, almost, uh, we've done, doing this almost a year now, we're getting pretty close there, so it's it's kind of neat, this is my first time getting the host with a guest, uh, Toons has got to do this once before with Sparf last time I was on a trip, so this is kind of fun, we get to do a little turnabout, and even better, we're discussing one of Toons' stories. So thanks for uh, thanks for doing this, man. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for having me and uh, visiting and all that kind of stuff. It's been great. I, I should point out we're very professional here. Uh, unlike normally when we record the book club, we actually have a table to use that the microphone is on, and we have actual chairs instead of my couch and coffee table or Toons's bed and a uh, overturned milk crate. So you know this is well, this is very posh here, and I'm, I'm very impressed. This, this show's moving up in the world. Well, we, we, we try to make things upscale, you know, for various guests or podcasts that, that come over to visit us. No, no. And it, well, it was an excellent dinner. You made a chicken marsala and mushroom risotto. My second risotto, but I, I think it, it turned out okay. It was very good. Yeah, I was impressed. And, and I, was, I was having Gordon Ramsay flashes there, but there was no screaming involved. And nobody was thrown out of the kitchen, so it was a win-win. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this, this week's story is Straight Humiliation Pulp. Uh, by Tunces, and which is a classic Tunces title. If you follow his readings, and if you don't, I don't know why you'd listen to the podcast. But if you don't, you should. Classic Tunces title, and and you, I think you had a thought about the. I I just found my my first thought when I uh, when I read the title was how how humorous it was uh, that Tunces likes to add the word pulp to his titles. Because um, going along with that naming convention, you would you would get such books as Gone with the Wind, the novel, and uh, War and Peace, the epic novel. So I just thought that that was a little a little humorous, but it definitely adds some style to the story, which is you know as 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 far as as authors and writing goes, is is definitely a good thing to add a little bit of uniqueness to your writing, even uh, you know when you're writing uh, pornography and. Or erotica, as we like to refer to it, to make ourselves sound more that, professional. They should add that to all books. Like, I agree. And then, so you could have like, you know, or movies, you know, so you could have ballistic, X for Sever, the waste of time, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it, you, It'd you, be great. You definitely simplify life. You definitely know, you know, if if this was going to be going to be worth it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, the the problem that you run into though is that they couldn't also look forward in time. You know, so you would open like a seven book series, and the first one wouldn't be, you know, the first of seven. Don't bother reading the other six. Right. Or like, what was that that fourth wheel of time book where it's like nothing happens in this book except in the first page and the last page. You could skip the rest, move on. But you could put that in the title, so you, you know, could. it could be the fourth wheel of time. Read the first and last page, and then you're done. There you go. It's it's it would simplify life so. Might sell a few less books, but they're trade-offs. Yeah. So this is a, you know, I'm really excited. I love reading Toons' stuff. Um, I have, you know, it's always fun working with them. And I really, the thing that always stands out in my mind about Toons' stories, I mean, a, 
leaving aside the obvious fact that they're usually pretty hot, um, I love how wordy they are. And, and I think part of that is because I tend to write, and I haven't written a lot of fiction, but at least when I'm writing in anything, or non-fiction films, I tend to write in a very concise prose style. Um, I'm very direct, and I, I really work to simplify uh, when I'm writing. And so I love how he just plays with the words and he plays with the sound of words, you know, how they roll, how they fit together on the page. If you're reading them out loud, how you would say them together and how they'd sound together. And that's one of the things I always love about his writing. He just likes, he, you can tell he just enjoys fitting the words together and crafting the sense. And I think that always shows through. Yeah. And stuff. Having not read nearly as many of uh, of Tunsis's pieces as, as Skip, but definitely enjoying uh, this one, there there is a lot of really fabulous wordplay in it. In my experience, there's there's a lot of of word crafting and a lot of really interesting usage of a lot of prose that that nonetheless really kind of brings out the story and kind of shapes it into a lot of interesting imagery and a lot of interesting metaphor. Well, even on the even right at the beginning of the story, the second paragraph, the line where the the woman on the phone says to Biscuit, they're as good as the commodity futures. You want a wee star, any Wister will do, and any Wister will do it. it. Sounded like she said that plenty of times before. And he goes, yeah, they say that. And just the idea, I, I think there's this kind of playfulness, and just the idea that nobody would ever say anything like that. Or it's a very weird thing to say, but it sounds interesting and you want it, you go back and you read it again because it's funny and odd. And, and I just like the idea of saying like, Oh yeah, they say that. <laughs> uh, I think it's a good example. Well, yeah. And I mean, you can even look at that sentence where the, uh, the descriptive is that he averred, which I have almost mm -hmm. never read it as word. a, uh, I love the word. I love how it rolls off the tongue, but I have almost never used it as an alternative to said, mm -hmm. which, uh, is always a, a challenge Mm -hmm. In writing, is trying to find ways to say he said without saying he said because it gets really old when you. Or read she it a lot. she hung up the uh, with the curt but polite salutation of a person who has more important things to attend to. Very descriptive. Very, yeah. like you get the you get the effect immediately without having to beat someone over the head. And with it, it, which it, I think it is really nice. The word choices reinforce the personalities of the characters and not just the word choices that the characters themselves are uttering, but I think the word choices that are being used to describe the characters or their actions, um, which is very hard to do. Yeah, no, I agree. Like you, you get a, a distinct impression of um, the woman on the phone's personality, even though she appears in the story for maybe five or six sentences out of mm -hmm. the entire story, you really get an impression and, and a, kind of an impact of the, the type of personality that she has. Yeah, yeah it's sort of a, a sort of, you know, precise, efficient, uh, you know, maybe doesn't really care, but she's getting the business done and she'll be as pleasant as she needs to. And not rude, but nothing more than that either. Um, and I, th I think the word choices reflect that. Uh, getting to the overall story, I did want to say a quick thing, and this is, is interesting because Spark read for us this week and did an and all, a, a fabulous job he, fabulous oh, job. he's so good yeah he's so good we'll definitely have to keep taking advantage of him i mean that i mean that uh but yes he read for us it was great but he you know he said to me this story is a little difficult to read because he was a little uncomfortable 
in regards to the subject matter. And I said, what do you, well, what do you mean? He said, I don't know, the whole humiliation thing and humiliating the straight guy, that was a little tough for me. And that was interesting to me. And I, I could see how it is. And we'd just been talking a couple episodes ago about the boundaries uh, that we have as readers, uh, or in this case, actually reading and presenting um, when we read stories uh, in saying that cuckolding was something that Toonses is uncomfortable with in regards to our last story. So it was kind of interesting, I think, that we went from one uncomfortable area one week to another one uh, for for a core person involved in the podcast. Yeah, I mean, especially poignant since we... Since you went from a, a story that Tunsis expressed being uncomfortable about to a story that he wrote that mm-hmm. the reader was uncomfortable mm-hmm. with. And I, I think that that's really, really kind of interesting when you look at those boundaries and just the kind of the boundaries that that people set often without really realizing them until they're mm-hmm. confronted with them. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting because often what one person finds uncomfortable is is exactly what the other person finds arousing. And for the same reasons, I think, in many levels, you know, that the, and this is a story, and this also goes back to our uh, discussion a couple weeks ago about doing stories for commissions, or stories with, uh, doing stories as a favor to somebody, or doing stories with specific furs in mind, and Biscuit obviously is a specific fur, and he's Biscuit's on F.A., um, so it's a specific character, a friend of Toons's, who stars in this story. And he requested this story. He requested some of the parameters of this story and loves it and actually said to Toons's, sure, you can use it for the podcast. And so he if, he, if we are reading this and saying, okay, Biscuits is a star, Biscuits likes this story, Biscuits said we can use it, we can probably infer... I think that Biscuits find this, finds this story arousing. Well, and I, I, I can definitely see that. And I, again, it goes back to, to what you were saying about uh, just the whole uncomfortableness mm-hmm. being either what can turn someone off of or turn someone mm-hmm. on to an idea. And I think that that's generally true. I think if you look at, at, at most of the more, I, I don't want to say outrageous, but more of the, the more extreme fetishes, I think you find often that it is the uncomfortableness that actually is the arousing thing. And there's just a, a difference with people about what discomfort they, they find arousing or inviting and what dis- discomfort they don't like. And of course, sparse discomfort, as he said to me, was in terms of being concerned for the humiliated party. You know, that's that's what upset him about reading this story was that he felt bad for Biscuit in this situation. And then we also know that, you know, the the persona Biscuit thinks this is a hot situation to be in. So it's an interesting thing. And it, it goes into these categories of the taboo and, and a little bit I think in the two terms of the you know, liminal and these in between states that are powerful and they're arousing the because they're powerful and they're dangerous because they're powerful. And how do you read that in the danger and arousal and the conflation therein, I think is where we're, why these stories have the power they do. Yeah. I mean, um, and, and if you get more, more deeply into it, I think that it even goes into the whole concept of, of why a lot of people find fetishes distasteful because mm-hmm. they, it, it is a lot about enjoyment or you know arousal from the discomfort of the the subject matter 
mm-hmm. and just kind of get it, coming to grips with that I think is more difficult for some people than it is for others. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, one one thing that I, I did notice that I thought was was really interesting is that the uh, the title of the story really sets up the uh, the piece to be a you know a humiliation story, which mm-hmm. which it is, and mm-hmm. and you totally get that it was very well crafted, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of. Uh, of, of prose and setup for that. But at, at the same time, I, I found it very interesting that the, the concept was, was more specifically on the idea of straight humiliation. Mm-hmm. And reading the story, I didn't get that until about halfway through, that, uh, that there was any sort of um, sexual orientation implied for Biscuit one way or the other, and not really oh, being familiar with the character. Um, it wasn't until they started specifically... Uh, the 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 lion and the the panther started specifically making an issue of his perceived sexual orientation that I realized that there was more of a not only a more of a play on words in the title but also that Biscuit's sexual orientation was straight and that this was another aspect of the story and of the humiliation that was happening hmm. because I could see that this whole story playing out almost the same. Um, literally with just a more conservative gay character kind of being humiliated and, and, and pushed into a situation beyond his limits with, without any of the, um, the sexual orientation aspects coming to play in it. Well, that's really, that's actually a really interesting point. And that's something that hadn't occurred to me until you brought that up is that, um, when you read this, you didn't perceive biscuits necessarily as straight until you're informed of such way a good way into the story um, and and you know is this an omission on Tunes's part not that that would ever happen of course buddy um, but is this an omission on Tunes's part or uh, you know we do have I think a cultural construction that people are assumed to be straight until proven otherwise which I think is something... And that's... is that part of that is... I, I think it partially... You know, obviously, like anything, it depends on the audience reading it. And we're gay guys sitting down reading this. And so maybe... And we also we also know Tunes's. And we also know the kinds of stories he usually writes. So maybe we can be forgiven in this case for just assuming this character is going to be gay. And I think maybe there is a little... Maybe the, that could be something that could have been strengthened. Or, you know, how, do, how is Biscuits... How do we present biscuits as straight before without explicitly saying as such yeah and i mean i, mean, I almost think that in, in in this case it's it really is something that that has to be taken into account when you look mm-hmm. at mainstream tv mm-hmm. uh, mainstream tv portrays straight characters as as normal and when right. mainstream tv wants to express this character as gay they're usually over the top and flamboyant mm-hmm. and i think that that like you said is kind of an expression of the culture but at the same time um writing in the furry fandom and writing for furrows which while you know i will completely admit there is a, a wide diversity of sexual orientations um the fandom started out and still is a, a majority gay mm-hmm. and I think that most people will agree that there is a, a majority of of that set that and by persuasion and mm-hmm. when you're writing to that audience it's it's more important to actually define 
the norm or the I guess the the anti norm is being straight as opposed to like mainstream TV and mainstream right. literature where it's assumed and gay is the one that you have to right. express a little stronger if you if that's the point you want to get across. Though this this line, I think you're right, and, and I think that's something that you know Tunes could do maybe better in this story. Um, but it, it raises this other line in me thinking about the later part of the story. What if we reframe it a little bit as sort of a, a reverse or, or an outing story in fears of being outed? And, I, I, and what if we look at the story in that kind of framework, you know, saying that as, you know, growing up as, you know, or at one point as a gay kid, you know, before you were out, you know, there's this fear that you're going to be exposed um, and, and everybody's going to know and... What if we look at this story in that kind of context? Well, and I think in that kind of context, I mean, that's, I think, initially my impression of the story. When mm -hmm. I, when I, the first time that I read the story through, um, just to kind of get a general idea, that was more the impression I got than a, a story where the character starts straight and, and ends straight and was humiliated by uh, basically a forced sexual encounter and realizing that he liked it and questioning his sexuality as I really did get an impression more that it was a a character that was undecided about their sexual orientation and was exposed to something that they liked until I kind of read it the second time with more depth and really kind of got a lot of the the nuance of the language and really kind of got that impression from it that no this is this is a character that has up until now decided that he was straight and has has labeled himself with that sexual orientation and then is being put into a situation where he either maybe questions it or at least wonders about whether he enjoys the situation mm -hmm. that he's in well, and i think there's that Right at the end, I, I made note of this line. Um, right at the end, when they're saying, you know, they they've had their way with biscuits, as it were, um, and you know, they're they're sending him on his way. He thanks them, which I found interesting, uh, and in, in in a demeaning sort of way. And then, you know, they say, well, you have to come back to get the money. And it says, $5,000, the panther cut in. He arched his eyebrows and tried to share a smile with the rat that said, I know. The rat asked politely for his clothes and what hours they would be available tomorrow. And the, the I know is italicized. And I think what the panther knows is, is going on at multiple levels here if we read the story in this light. So that he knows that, you know, Biscuit is going to come back to get that money. And of course and, and he knows that he's gonna do Biscuit again. And more to the fact to that it Biscuit knows that he's going to be back. Right. right. Re regardless and of his even his views. if Biscuit isn't sure what he is, this guy knows what Biscuit is, I think. There's just a menace in that line which works very well in the story. Um, which I thought was really interesting, actually. When you look at the the characters, the uh, the, the subtleties in their personality, I think is mm -hmm. something that I was really impressed with with mm -hmm. Tunes' characters. Like you look at at Maximilian, and there really is a you immediately get the sort of 
the, the, the jock personality, mm-hmm. but with a very subtle kind of menace to him. And I think that reading through the story and the way he behaves, you definitely get that that's what he, what Toonsis was going for. And that's totally, like, apparent in the character when you first first meet him. Yeah. Well, and, you, and you've got very distinct... I mean, they treat him in different ways at, at various times. You know, the lion steps in so that you can't bully him like that or he won't come back. Um, so they're... You know, they're... I think, especially in, in short porn stories, which this is, you know, it's very easy to slip into very broad, kind of stereotypical characters, you know, who play things out a certain exact predictable way. Well, and I think that that's one of the, one of the signs of both good short stories and good erotica, mm-hmm. you know, coming from both sides, is, is whether you let your characters slip into the stereotypical or not. And, you know, granted, I'm sure all of us have been, at one time or another, on the lookout for a story about a stereotypical character, but we're certainly not looking for that for any sort of, of depth. You know, we're looking for something for a quick read, you know, and that's completely different than, than what you get with, with more... Uh, more developed characters and more interesting personalities is if they don't fit a stereotype you're you're more drawn into and in in my opinion it actually makes a a better story and even uh from the term the sense of erotica it makes a hotter story to have mm-hmm. characters that you have to think about as well as looking at them in the, the sexual context of the story mm-hmm. and, and this is it's such a story i guess one of the things that strikes me too is on this, on one level, the story is very much, here are things that get done to Biscuit. On the other level, you know, and, and I think the, the better reading, you know, and, and how it's written too is, here are things that Biscuit gets done to him. Uh, and shifting the agency, uh, as it were, here, where we have, um, you know, the story is all about Biscuit. And, you know, he gets guided into thing after thing. And and I get the feeling that at any point, or, you know, in this, he could have put a stop to this in yeah. a lot of ways. And he, he chooses not to. And he doesn't know why he chooses not to. And I think that's one of the, the best things about how it's written, is that there is con- conflict and confusion in our protagonist's mind. All throughout the story. Yeah, there really is a, a sense of y- both you, when you're reading it, is both you and Biscuit are going along for the ride. Mm-hmm. That there there really is an out-of-control element, both as, as, as the reader and as Biscuit, even though he is the main character, mm-hmm. which typically denotes a at least some sense of, of control of how the story goes. You always get a, you get a feeling in a lot of writing that the main character has has a grasp of control on the story. Whether or not they choose or can exert that control, there, there's always a feeling that the main character is setting the pacing and setting the story, and, and you really don't get that in this right. story. Well, and, and it ends, of course. I mean, the sex scene ends with Biscuit coming. Uh, and, and if we don't want to... I don't want to get too Freudian here. But, um, you know, it ends with Biscuit coming in an involuntary reaction in some ways to the situation, you know, and, and as we know from all high school biology, it, it's 
partially voluntary and but you know when you get to that precipice it's involuntary and he's out he's he's no longer in control of his own body both as the situation runs away with him and that is you know in some ways that's the scariest thing in this story and and that moment i think summarizes the whole story is you know biscuit comes and it's this great amazing event and it's completely beyond his control and terrifying because of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a, there was a definitely a a very good use of of that loss of control and specifically that loss of of sexual control, that loss of your own body, which I think deep down everyone has, whether or not you have fetishes based on that loss of control. Either what makes it exciting or what makes it terrifying is that thought of that loss of control of kind of the the one aspect that especially in our culture mm-hmm. we keep to ourselves. Yeah. And the the loss of that was was very masterfully crafted in this story, I think. That you, you get that feeling of that loss and at the same time the, the confusion at his at Biscuit's enjoyment of that loss. That's, I mean, and I gotta say, you know, on a personal level, that's probably my favorite thing in erotic stories is a loss of control, and it doesn't have to be in this sort of way. I mean, there, I think there are other ways you can present a loss of control in erotic stories, but that that's probably in a general term without getting into specific. That's that's what does it for me. Um, well, and I think and that, that a lot may of... say, say a lot about my personality. So. You know, I like I like being in control. I like being in charge and, and controlling things. And so that's something that the loss of that is arousing to me. Although at the same time, I could, could argue that I think the draw of erotica in general is loss of control. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you think about it, um, the, the, the general draw that I would say most people, that pull most people to pornography and to erotica in general is that escape from their typical lives where they have to be in control to either read or immerse themselves in a fiction where they they can be primal and they can can lose that need to be proper and that need to be in control and the need to you know be sophisticated and, and interact in our world and can just lose themselves Sounds in like passion. part of the appeal of being a furry too i agree we I might think. see the connection between furry and sexuality well, I think that there's a lot of connection on, I mean, on, on many levels between furry and sexuality. And I don't think that that's a negative thing. I think most subcultures, when you get right down to them, are a, are a specific group's attempt to come to grasp with um, finding that ability to let themselves go and to release themselves from the, the constraints of an otherwise pretty controlling world and a pretty controlling society. Well, and it may hold, I mean, we, you know, you and I, we come from a Judeo-Christian Western cultural background, uh, which is very built around um, a, a separation of the mind and the body and the, the culture and the not. You know, and or not would be sexuality, and and so we come particularly from a background that emphasizes a distance between the two and a um, uncleanliness, you know, and a distaste for the body and eroticism and, and losing control, uh, which I think also adds to the you know, taboo and, and arousing nature of it. Um, 
On a, on a side note, with the with the discussion of like control and the loss of control, one thing I did I did find very interesting was how even in the story, the two um, I guess you could say antagonists. I mean, they're mm-hmm. not really, but in in the the context of the story, they're the antagonists. Where even between them, we're fighting con- for control of the situation yes. with with very different personalities. Maximilian tries to be very dom- very dominant and very mm-hmm. I I know what you want and you want me mm-hmm. and that's my control. And then you have the photographer who's very Mr. Menino, Mr. Menino, <laughs> who is very uh, controlling more and is trying to appeal to everyone and just coax mm-hmm. a little bit more out of them. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interestingly a very photographer way of doing things. It feels like a to... director too, like a film director, you know, working with stars, you know, trying mm-hmm. to get the right performance, guide his stars gently to get the right performance. Just trying to coax that perfect photo out. I mean, he's, really... already, he's already cast it. I mean, he has... The dominant, you know, Toffee Panther hero, Maximilian, and he has, you know, and he has the guy who's going to be um, the submissive uh, Twinkie guy, and he's already made his casting. He already knows the performance he wants, and I think he just gives little nudges here and there to to push them, each of them, that extra distance to to make them do the thing they were already leaning towards, and he'll just give them that little extra bump. And, and and kind of get in the middle of it as well, which is oh, always fun. Right. One thing that I I did find really interesting, kind of going back to the whole, um, I guess gender. I mean, it's gender stereotypes and and sexual orientation. One thing that I found really interesting and is, is kind of glazed over really nicely in the story is the whole scene where they are doing the shoot with the football. Mm-hmm. And Biscuit, who's the straight guy, yeah. has no clue what to do with this thing, and it is the 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 the, the gay jock that is literally coaching him on how to properly how to hold, hold the football. football. Yes, and I, I like that. I thought I like that, that that was really really kind of kind of interesting, and really really was a good way to kind of upset the 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 gender and the you know the 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 sociosexual stereotypes without doing it blatantly. And right. I thought that that was really interesting. Well, and, and I think it's, you know, especially in this case, too, it, it's Biscuit's humiliation again that these gay guys are in some ways better guys than he is, even though he's straight. Yeah. Because they have the other guy tropes, you know, that they're... The other weird cultural baggage we attach to male and female roles in this society. They're, they're buff, they're macho, they know football, they are very confident and sure of themselves, mm-hmm. which are all all tropes that our, our culture associates with being a man. And, and yet we also, as culturally, associate being gay with being a woman. And so we get this nice kind of conflation, as you said, mixing them up in an interesting way here. I did... Now, I did want to talk a little bit about... So we've had... we had. I mean, I think the story's working pretty well. We had a couple of things we wanted to say about just setting up Biscuit for this particular audience, maybe, as a writer. Um we did, you know, discuss one of your stories a couple of weeks ago, and I just wanted to, you know, say, I think I said at the time, I was like, oh, we weren't too rough on you, but what you told me, you said you had some news about well, yeah, movie so, nights. So I, 
after listening to the episode on, on movie night, I, I found myself nodding through most of your and Tunes's discussion about the story. Um, it was one of my, my early ones. Um, and finding that, that I agreed and realizing that there was a lot more of a story to tell. And so it's, it's kind of exploded into its own monster um, and has grown to over 8,000 8, words right now and is looking at pushing itself on towards a novella, which I find kind of interesting from a, a short story that I wrote because basically I really wanted to write about foxes fucking. And, uh-huh, uh-huh. and, and from that kind of turning itself into... Taking into a lot of the concepts that, that, that you guys discussed about like wanting to, you know, more about Avery's ex and mm-hmm. wanting to understand more of the, the relationship, you know, between him and Reed and also uh, Ian and, and Avery. And there's a lot of that that has kind of grown um, almost by itself into a, a story on its own. And, which is awesome. And I look forward to seeing uh, some some drafts of this down the road. I'm excited. Uh, but I did want to bring that up because not only is it awesome, but you know one of the things that Tunes is constantly telling folks is you know we we put a lot of stories on here that are like published or about to be published, um, but we also put a lot of stories that are more you know works in progress or they've released on FA but they want to do more things with it. And so I wanted to kind of you know say it doesn't need to be perfect, guys, to send it in because we want to you know wait there's lots to talk about and hopefully I think. We were, we were fair and we didn't kill you or anything. So that was good, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I, I I think that having a story that wasn't quite done almost spurred more interesting conversation than it if does. it had yeah, been. Sometimes that's definitely the case. And if you're looking at something, especially for, you know, for a discussion group like, like this book club, I think that that's important because any, anyone can go out and, and buy a novel mm-hmm. and discuss this, you know, discuss the concepts in that in that novel, but it, I, it's it's kind of hard to, in my opinion, to discuss a story that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Not that there are many that out there that are even published right. ones. I mean, I don't think that that's the case. But I, I think the more that there is, as long as it's you know accepted that that stories are constantly evolving, mm-hmm. there's a lot to learn from that as well, especially for newer newer authors like myself. Yeah. So send them in, guys. We we love to have them. And we love to have readers, too. Um, I did... There was one other thing. Uh, just to shift again a little bit. Because um, this is something that... Well, uh, thinking about is... Biscuit, you know, says I'm straight. And I had, you know, a couple readers say to me... And it was a thought I had myself, too. Which was, I don't know if Biscuit's straight. Um, you think about it. And, and what do you think? I mean, is Biscuit... Straight. Well, I mean, I think that a lot of that goes really strictly to whether you are the type of person that likes to apply labels, mm-hmm. or whether you are a person that looks more like looks more at actions. I, I think that if if I had to kind of judge Biscuit, if I was in in some sort of position, and we're, we're going to be clear here, Biscuit. We're discussing story, Biscuit, not. Biscuit. A- absolutely. We're, we're, absolutely. This is always one of these confusing things where somebody has like a character. This is this is one that we were talking about the, the perils of writing uh, commissions for people. This is one of those perils here. Is that like okay, we are talking about the story character, not the 
real person or the real person's persona. So that's our disclaimer. Yeah, but anyway, continue. Yeah, to, em- to emphasize on that. <laughs> that I... fag biscuit. No, just, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Continue. Yeah, to emphasize on that, I, I don't know Biscuit. I haven't talked to him. And literally my first exposure with his, was his story. So if mm-hmm. I was to go just off of the story, mm-hmm. and I was the type of person Written to... by gay, gay, tunes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was the person to apply labels. I, I would probably say that he... I, I would not qualify him as straight. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would qualify him as gay because mm-hmm. I think that, that and I think that you agree mm-hmm. that straight that gay is is more than just your desire right. to have sex with men. Right. It's 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 a mindset and it's it's also kind of a, a social yeah. decision that you make. Right. So I, I wouldn't label the, the story biscuit as gay. Mm-hmm. I also would not label him as as straight by pretty much any stretch of the imagination I that think. I would have mm-hmm. based based on the way the story was constructed and the way the character acted in the story. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I think that's pretty much where I stand too. And I think this is, you know, we talked uh, a few minutes ago about how our society conflates certain cultural notions so that one thing equals another equals another. And so we were saying that, you know, um, masculinity equal, you know, in a large figure equals masculinity equals love of sports equals macho, you know, equals straight. And messing around with that conflation. And, you know, another one of the conflations is that having sex with people of the same gender equals gay. Um, and and we, we kind of simple we like binary systems in Western culture. We like it's either one or the other. Um, this is part of that. We like conflating things to kind of simplify how we think of them. And I think it's 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 that kind of thinking that leads to all kinds of prejudices and misconceptions about people. Um, so yeah, I think we might have a character here who is not gay because they aren't part of that cultural community. In the same way that I think I could say, you know, I, you know, maybe I collect, you know, things of Disney's Robin Hood and love that. But if I'm not going to furry cons or know anything about the furry community, am I a furry? Or if I'm a fantasy writer writing with like cat people or like a Skyrim, you know, programmer with Khajiit who doesn't know anything I'm sure they do, but it, pretending I didn't know anything about, you know, fur affinity or any of that. Are they furry then? Yeah, I think that there's um, a there there is a big focus in our in our culture with drawing those connect pre drawing those connections for people mm-hmm. and equating association mm-hmm. with acceptance or understanding. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that I think that's a mistake. And I think that that's a a mistake that our our society generally makes. And that one of the signs of a I guess a more enlightened subculture is the ability to realize that association with something does not make you part of that thing mm-hmm. or, or an aspect of something does not make you part of that thing. Mm-hmm. And then of course the flip side of that is that even part of that culture, there are degrees within there. And just because, you know, you aren't, you know, wearing a rainbow shirt everywhere you go, you can still be gay and part of the gay culture. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think, you know, we got this very interesting character, Biscuit, who doesn't, you know, says he's one thing, may, probably isn't, but may not know who he is yet, and may take time to figure it out, and that's kind of one of the also, I think, interesting things in this story, is in a lot of ways, 
especially the way it ends, this story feels like the start of many other things. Yeah, there's definitely and, less And of I a... like that. A lot of times I like that in short stories, that they kind of leave you with thinking about what's going to happen next. And it doesn't do it in a way that makes you feel unfulfilled or like you got gypped out of it. Like, man, I really got cheated to find out. You know, we aren't like left like that. Or it isn't like, oh, did he die or didn't he? You know, one of those right. kinds of stories. Um, but it leaves you with the expectation that this is the start of other interesting things for this character. Yeah, like. yeah you, you definitely get the... I, I like how you get the impression that it's it's not so much about the the character biscuit thinking one thing mm-hmm. and then realizing another. Um, it's it's really more of an exploration of biscuit wondering if he really understands himself as well as yes, he does. Exactly, exactly. That's how I read it anyway. And maybe we're reading that because we have gone through this process. <laughs> and if we were straight, we wouldn't read it like that at all. So that that could be an interesting uh, but again, point to raise. You are writing to an audience. Yes. You know, I mean, it was a uh, a request from a person who likes his character in straight humiliation stories mm-hmm. to someone who very obviously and very blatantly writes gay pulp. So yes. there, there is an aspect in that, That's I think, of point. writing to the That's audience and at least understanding the audience that this is probably going to, to translate and be read by. Right. That's right. I don't know. Uh, do you have, uh, I think we're about wrapped up. For today, I think we've covered most of our major points. It was fun getting to uh, get into Atunsa's story, and again, I, I say, buddy, I love just and like I said, I always love the stories because, like I said before, I think that typically now, in general, uh, people writing in a more economizing style, and that's the current pro style, and that this this. Kind of almost excessive wordiness, but excessive in a playful way, um, is a little bit of a throwback stylistically. Yeah, I, I, have, um, I do have to. don't see it a lot in furry porn, especially. Especially. Yeah. And and I don't know. I, I like it. It's fun for me. I, I agree. I do have to say playfully that there were a couple of times where I considered going to a dictionary. Yeah. And I, I consider myself pretty well versed and, you know, generally. A, uh, a good grasp of more complicated words, so uh, bravo on that. But it was. I mean, I love. Look at this line here. I mean, this here's an example. This is amazing. So, and so Biscuit continued to cough and gag on the rod until his throat became more supple to the encroachments. I mean, he, the guy is being face fucked, and he turns. The guy is being face fucked into his throat became more supple to further encroachments. How fucking great is that? Yeah, it makes you it makes you picture like a uh, you know a Victorian it manuscript, is. Yes. and and at the same time, it's very obvious what's happening to Biscuit. But yeah. you know, you you could totally see like the almost exact same prose. It's being... cock sucking with the pinky held extended. <laughs> That's what it is here, folks. <laughs> So remember to extend your pinky when you read this story. If you haven't yet, um, it will make the experience much better. Having tea and crumpets is also a a good plus. I've got to to bring Tunis' back some more tea because I brought him some of the, you know, Celestial Seasonings is right here in Boulder. Right. So last time, he he doesn't like coffee, 
but he likes the caffeine, so I brought him the Morning Thunder, the one with the bison on it. Right. It's like super caffeinated tea, so I gotta bring him back some more. Have you ever gone on the when tour? It is cool. The mint room? It is cool. The mint the room The peppermint is awesome. room is... You guys, okay, listeners, uh, if you ever get to Boulder, Celestial Seasoning Tea Company, go on the factory tour, which is great. It is great. They have a mint room. It's it's a vault that is floor to ceiling, rolling like hermetically sealed sliding door rolls open, and it's full of the peppermint that they use in their most popular tea. I think there's catnip in there. Is there? There is. Some I would too. believe it. On a side note, if they ever do the contest asking what their most popular tea is, it is their peppermint tea. <laughs> You'll win a book. That's a side note. If you're ever on the t- on the uh, factory tour, but it's it's intense. It's it is awesome. You walk in and you're like sinuses clear in about two seconds. It's totally cool. Uh, so yes, that's that's a great factory tour. So I have to I have to bring back some tea for tunes. So you know, next time you're writing a very refined uh, pulp story, you can uh, work that. And I think that's part of the appeal of the pulp too, because you know it, that that itself is a a, a past shout out to the you know yellow. Back, you know, a pulp of Victorian era in the 20s and 30s and the little dime novels. Uh, uh, so, except, you know, the gay guys didn't all die at the end of this one. So that's a little different from those <laughs> older ones. Uh, but great fun. And, you know, thank you. Uh, Soren, do you have anything else to add? No, I think that was, uh, was about it. Thank you for letting me uh, join you and talk about it. It's been great. Yeah, well, thank you. I think we've got a hot tub to go enjoy, too. I so think I, we do. I can't complain. Uh, but thank you, listeners, and thank you, Tunesas, and thank you, Spark, for reading for us. We will be back next week uh, with a new story, and in two weeks, I'll be back in Maryland with Tunesas. So we'll see you then. Ciao. See ya.